Hello everyone and welcome to another awesome episode of the Biff Bites Podcast. I'm your host, Jerry Mee, joined as always by the three amigos. We got Mr. Mike Long. What's up, Mike? Hey, hey Jerry. Excited for spring. I got a bag of golf balls waiting to be sliced. Waiting to be lost. Waiting to get sunk in the lake. <laughs> we also got Brendan Flaherty. How's it going, Brendan? I'm good. How you doing? Excellent. And last but not least, Mr. Adam Shear. How you doing, Adam? Doing great. Hanging tough. It's that time of year. CFP exam around the corner. Let's do this. It is. People are feeling the pressure. Uh, also, not just for our students taking the CFP exam, but for our former students who passed the CFP exam. Uh, it's starting to rev up into uh, tax season, and this is going to be a uh, real busy time of year for everyone. Yep. Always is. Yeah. Uh, we got some cool topics to talk about uh, this month. Uh, up first, we kind of wanted to go over something that we haven't really touched on in the uh, the podcast history, and that's uh, NUA, uh, Net Unrealized Appreciation. Something we haven't really talked about, doesn't come up that often, but it seems to be a topic that gives people a little bit of trouble, so just wanted to spend some time on it this episode. What do you guys think? Sounds good. And speaking of, Mike, I believe you're our, uh, our resident NUA expert in-house. Anyway, NUA, yeah. I, I think it's one of the remaining uh, you know, possibly great benefits for someone in a qualified plan uh, that happens to hold employer stock. And there's some special tax treatment uh, that can happen when that stock gets uh, distributed um, regarding the net unrealized appreciation that's happened with that stock uh, along the way. Um, so if you have a profit sharing plan, um, this could be the case. Profit sharing plans can be funded up to 100% with employer stock. Pension plans are limited to hold 10% in employer stock. So if, if, if you have that plan yourself and, and you're holding some employer stock, this could be good for you. If you have clients uh, that may have employer stock in their plan. You need to know about this and, and teach them the, the benefits. Yeah. It's actually funny, Mike, uh, right off the bat, you called it a, a benefit. And I feel most people associate it with a detriment because usually when we're dealing with NUA, we're dealing with taxes. And whenever people deal with taxes, it usually gets them in a bad mood. So they associate NUA with a bad thing. But in reality, it, it is. It is a benefit. It's, it's a perk that some companies offer to their employees yeah potentially could be really good um, because we're we're changing the tax treatment normally the the tax treatment on any distribution from a qualified plan even if it's forever been invested in in stocks and and long-term capital gain type of property when that's held in a qualified plan uh, that's automatically the gains are ordinary income. But with NUA, the gains on that employer stock could receive long-term capital gain treatment instead of ordinary income. And depending on the circumstances of the plan and the actual details, uh, but it could save some serious taxes. Yeah. And I feel with NUA, one reason why it's so difficult is it just doesn't come up that often. Is it just is it just not a 
popular perk in the in the country today or is it not many people know about it i just feel most people have trouble with it because they just don't get much practice with anyway well um yeah i think just awareness of uh of it is one thing and brendan might be able to speak to this on uh, what he sees with clients how many of them even a rough estimate would have some employer stock yeah, in, I, I think their plan. <clears throat> there's a lot of people that have employer stock in their plan, but but when we tend to do, and the the issue that I've had is that a lot of the clients that I have been dealing with, um, when we've calculated NUA op, uh, uh, possibilities, have been in an income bracket it, where it's just it, the, the, when they look at the the consequences of doing it um, and then project the the cost over time it's just not palatable for them. And, and part of the reason is the basis in the stock just isn't low enough. Um, there's definitely a benefit to having lower basis in, in, in that stock for the NUA strategy. Uh, but it's something that in my 16, 17 years, I, I think I've gone through 10, 12 times. So it's not it's not something you deal with terribly frequently and probably, you know, arguably should, should deal with more. Because most publicly traded companies offer within their 401k plan the ability to invest in the co- uh, company stock. Mm-hmm. And now I feel uh, kind of a confusion with it also is ISOs, which tend to be much more popular. What's kind of like the difference between NUA and ISO? Because I feel a lot of people get those confused. Well, the ISO is not within the qualified plan. Right. And right. and for NUA to uh, to apply it, that the stock, it only applies to the stock that's in the qualified plan. In, in the company but stock. We, it, yeah. Um, but let's talk about how that works tax-wise just up front here, and then we can circle back around to some of the challenges sure. um, uh, of maybe implementing it. So over the years, the employer uh, may choose to, uh, to put you know, company stock into the, into the plan, um, and so it appreciates, hopefully, uh, over that time period, the employer has a basis. Uh, it, w- the value at the time it's it's put into the qualified plan is uh, is its fair market value at that time, and that becomes the basis uh, in that in that stock. So over the years, it uh, hopefully appreciates, and um, let's say that the basis over the years was a hundred thousand dollars. And uh, the participants ready to, uh, you know, maybe retire and uh, take a, a lump sum distribution from from the plan, uh, and they have this uh, this employer stock, this company stock inside the plan. At distribution, the employer basis from over the years is taxed as ordinary income, and that can be one of the downsides. Like Brendan's saying, if you have a really high bracket uh, payer and a really high basis. Uh, but that's all ordinary income, then the stock itself is distributed in kind. It's the only way to get the NUA treatment is to distribute that stock in kind to a regular um, brokerage account. Uh, and in doing so, all of that appreciation that has happened, in, and in this example, that would be 400000 of NUA, that continues to be tax-deferred until uh, the stock is actually sold, which might be immediately for some clients. It could be a lot more years uh, for, uh, for others. But forever, that appreciation, that NUA 
at the time of the lump sum distribution will always be taxed as long-term capital gain, regardless of the holding period on the stock after the distribution. So mm -hmm. that's, you know, what's gotten its attention in recent years, of course, has been the uh, dramatic lowering of capital gains uh, tax, uh, you know, 0, 15, 20%. That's caused some folks to revisit this. Like, would it be worth it? And is the trade-off between what I pay in ordinary taxes now uh, versus uh, long-term capital gain later, um, it, where's the breakpoint on that? But that's just quickly how that, an overview of how that works. Now, is this something that can be done multiple times or does it, it is it only a one-time in-kind transfer? It, it requires a qualified plan lump sum distribution to happen. So the, the definition of that is the entire account, not just the employer stock, but the entire account must be distributed within, uh, w w within the, a year. So most of it is going to happen on a one-time basis, uh, just clearing it all out at once. What's kind of uh, the profile for a company that would set up a NUA program? Is it mostly startups? Is it mostly established companies? Is it mostly for highly compensated employees? Or is it mostly for like the rank and file? Like what, what would you say as an advisor, what type of clients would you be thinking about would be the ones that you could recommend setting up an NUA program with? What do you think, Brendan? I mean, I would say anybody that has a, a, a chunk of their company stock that has been highly appreciated in, in, in a qualified account. You know, I, I think it's something that you can look at. Um, and obviously, the, um, the higher the, the current tax bracket, the greater the impact of, of that tax consequence today is. Um, but potentially, the, the, the greater the benefit over time the NUA is. So, you know, it really comes down to anybody that has those those concentrated shares, uh, especially if they're highly appreciated. Are we going to have to be on the lookout uh, for kind of changing tax laws in the pipeline? Because I know one thing that's been tossed around a lot uh, with the Biden tax plan is increasing the capital gains rate. Is that something that advisors are going to want to think about and maybe preemptively have their clients you know, take an NUA distribution and lock in those lower capital gains rates now? Well, that's um, what I've read is that potential changes to the highest marginal bracket, but I think it's after what four hundred thousand. Yes, that's what I'm hearing. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, definitely math needs to be done there. Um, but, and this gets more complex than just should I take it now or not. Even to to what extent will the client depend on this uh, down the road if they if they didn't elect NUA? and instead just took a lump sum distribution and rolled it all into an IRA, down the road, what kind of distributions might be happening? Would it only be the RMDs? Would it be uh, something much higher than that? Because often you'll find clients that aren't really distributing huge amounts from these IRA rollovers down the road, maybe just the minimum. And you can look at that and say, well, if this were all ordinary income, is that really so bad? Uh, when we talk about potentially um, that many more years of deferring any tax at all and not recognizing immediately that that in employer basis. So I think it's just a much bigger analysis than what 
might meet the eye at first. And also another, you know, factor that you have to take into account is health of the company because it is going to be directly tied to that stock price of the company as well. You know, and maybe the company is going to do poorly in the near future. Maybe it's going to do exceptionally well in the near future and that's going to weigh in on your decision. Yeah, it it quickly it gets pretty complex and then with changing administrations, I think that even compounds it. Right. Uh, it, you know, and we may be looking at some higher brackets and, but okay. Um, how do you look down the road? Maybe 15 years and say, is this going to be a big deal or not? Right. It's hard to predict those things. Right. And, and, you know, the other thing is that someone's income could change. Maybe they get let go of the company. Maybe they, they move on to something else and their income drops. And then the benefit of that NUA isn't as significant, you know? So it is, it is really, you have to play out a few different scenarios and then just, between you and the client decide what makes the most sense for that person based on what they're projecting for themselves. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to deal with the knowns versus trying to understand all of the unknowns. Now, Brendan, in your experience, has there been a trend just in the clients that did execute these strategies? Were they long tenure? Were they at a certain point in their career? Or was was it just completely random? Uh, it was it was completely random. Most of the people that I've done this analysis for did not do it. So maybe my analysis wasn't good uh, and, and they couldn't see the benefit of it. But most of the time when I was doing it, um, it was for people who would come up in technology companies during the uh, late 90s, early 2000s. Uh, they were making a lot of money still. There was good appreciation. But when they saw that that this is your tax bill this year, it just they just couldn't get past it you know and and so for them um it 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 seemed like it was it was probably best left alone and it was uh, it was always after the triggering event for these people was always separation of service the alternative because i mean it has to be distributed eventually but the alternative is they could roll it into an ira and then how does how does that function is it just you know they're just gonna keep in the ira for as long as they can until rmds kick in or what what's their what's their alternative in that situation brendan if they don't actually want to do the nua yeah it's just like anything else you know it just it just gets rolled into some other qualified account sometimes it's left um still in in the the 401k you know sometimes they don't move it into an ira they just leave it there um you know once you have over a certain amount they can't force you out of the plan per se um, and then it's just it's treated like like any other distribution from their from their uh, qualified plans. So their end goal is uh, I'll just let my estate taxes deal with that. <laughs> yeah, they'll 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 take their RMDs or who knows you know if they if they have a they they I've I've dealt with a couple of people who retired really young, um, and and so they had a, a, a probably a larger than than average draw from their qualified plans initially. Um, so you know again it's just one of those things where. It's while there's rules of thumbs and, and, and standards that you follow, it, it just comes down to each individual scenario, what makes the most sense for that particular client. Yeah, it's a lengthy discussion, I think. And, yeah, and, and, and very complicated. Man. Yep. Yeah. The, um, and there's some things to consider, too, because it's possible that the client may want to actually identify which shares are going to be distributed. So you would want to look for the lowest basis and maybe just do those and go ahead and roll the rest of it into an That's IRA. Right. Yep. Yes, you're switching capital gain to ordinary income with that IRA. You can't come back and do NUA later out of the IRA. Right. But depending on when that when it was funded, maybe the employer used to fund it with uh, with company stock and then got away from it. 
and hasn't done that in 15, 20 years. So the basis could be very low. There could be much smaller ordinary taxes to pay upon that distribution than stuff that was just started funding in, in recent years and has the highest uh, cost basis. Another challenge to this, and uh, to Brendan's point of what he's experienced is is the reason for the distribution was separation of service. Right. Um, so that that can often bring us to someone who is under the age of 59 and a half. So if they make that election and they have that distribution in ordinary income, if they're not 59 and a half, they could also be subject to penalty. And so that would discourage them uh, from going through with that uh, as well. But you got to have the answers to all these questions. Right. And separation of service isn't the only uh, qualifying event. So you could die and that's a qualifying event. I don't die. know if that's the quality. Yeah. <laughs> that's an option. Total and permanent disability. <laughs> that's, not, so. that's not the best, uh, the best choice. How do I get out of these penalties? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's the Irish, right? I, they, I they'll say, so they're stubborn enough to say, I'll show you. I'm going to get out. I'm not I'll paying this. I'll show you. Yeah. Ah. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's, some, that's some good advice for your clients. So, well, if you want to dodge the taxes, all you got to Listen, you need to quit die. or die. Those are your two cho- choices. so another point with this is after the distribution and particularly then in the scenario of inheriting uh, this this account the nua portion uh, will will be income in respect of uh, a decedent so it's going uh, to maintain uh, its character Uh, the appreciation that happens after the distribution will can be short-term capital gain or long-term capital gain, depending on how long that beneficiary holds the stock or even the, the participant themselves, how long they hold the stock after the lump sum distribution. And then at death, the, the NUA part does not get a step up in basis. But that so we have the original basis, the employer basis to the to the beneficiary, and then any of that appreciation that's happened after the distribution, that too would get a step up in basis uh, to the heir, but not the NUA portion. That sounds like an absolute nightmare. That is my accountant's problem. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah you want to get them involved pretty quickly in these discussions, I think. For sure. I have uh, one last question here for here uh, that was on my mind. So this this is this is testable CFP stuff, correct? Right? That's yes. Uh, I think okay. it's most assuredly going to be on the yeah. CFP exam in some form. It might not take it out so far as to death and what happens with a step up or not a step up. But I would say absolutely count on. And what happens just at the distribution yeah. with the ordinary tax and the basis and the long-term capital gain forever on the NUA, I would count on that one. So just to kind of tie a bow on this topic, uh, what would you say are the maybe three or four bullet point like flashcard points you would want to write down that you know you recommend students know for NUA for the exam? Adam, what do you think there? I think... The just the character, 
if you were not to elect. I think it's all about the character with the election, the character not with the the election. Um, and by that, you mean like the taxation? Of yeah, it? taxation. Yeah, uh, the yep. tax piece. I think it's all going to be around around that. I could see I, a, a question where you make the NUA election and you have to compute the long-term capital gain, something yep. where, you, where it's applied. That That's um, in my, my experience as well, yeah. Yeah. Anything uh, Anything you guys have seen? or I, I would know the triggering, the, the, the four different triggering events or qualifying events that allow you to do it. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I wouldn't freak out overly much about the NUA. I would still, you know, have a good grasp on it, but it's not like you're going to get 20 NUA questions on the exam. That's a good point. Yep. Might you just feel like you make do. the one that you do get, uh, <laughs> make sure it becomes an easy one for you. All right, guys, it is that time of year again uh procrastinators of the world unite (laughs) it is getting close to tax deadline and if you are anything like me you are putting it off till the last minute (laughs) how's uh tax crunch season going for you guys i'm just getting warmed up (laughs) yeah yeah, right (laughs) that's a good way to put it (laughs) i just got another separate pile of my many piles of of stuff uh that need to be sorted out still I'm sure a lot of people are still feeling that way. That That's my procrastination <laughs> method. It's like, oh, I can't do it yet. I'm still waiting on this document from this group. Well, oh, you know, this firm hasn't sent me my 1099s yet. I can't do my taxes yet. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's not my fault I haven't done them yet. I'm, I'm waiting for these documents. <laughs> yeah, I always get stuck on the spreadsheet that I have to submit to my accountant to get credit for the uh, the write-offs. For, for me, that's always the last thing, uh, which is ironic because that's the thing that gets me money back, yeah. right? So, uh, but I hate doing it. Mm. I'm so sick of hearing about taxes by the time I have to do my own. Uh, <laughs> so, so it's it, I just put it off for literally, I'm always the last one that gets my stuff to my, uh, to my account. Yeah. Uh, also, there's a lot of people who are going to have some unexpected tax bills uh, this year due to kind of the rise in uh, popularity of trading from retail investors. A bunch of my friends, I'm getting all these panicked text messages and calls being like, hey, have you heard about this thing called capital gains tax? Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it turns out if you trade in not your IRA yep. or 401k, you have this thing called capital gains tax you have to worry about. <laughs> that takes the fun right out of it it does you know something that got my attention and i don't know why it didn't before but i i've worked from home for i don't know 14 years um and there was always that uh you know home office expense uh that you could deduct and and you could actually apportion it out based on uh, the square footage of, of sole usage and, and, and a fraction of basically everything. Um, and then I see, and maybe I, I saw it before and it didn't register, but I think, guys, this was part of the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, that if you're an employee, you can't take that home office deduction anymore. And I, I thought, well, who foresaw that coming, that the whole nation would be working from home? And said, oh, yeah, <laughs> right. we better cut that deduction out of there. Right. Yeah, it uh, it stinks, you know, especially when you think you're gonna have a, uh, you know, a little tax cut come due and realize you don't qualify for it. Uh, I also feel this 
this tax season is going to be extra confusing just because there's a lot of short term stuff and things that are falling off and things that are carrying forward due to, uh, you know, the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act that is uh, either expiring and didn't get renewed. But then also all of these like uh, short term stimulus bills that got passed uh, for some relief that kind of all plays into people's taxes. Um we're not really expecting a lot of this stuff to show up on the exam, though, because of how temporary it is, correct? That's my feeling for sure. And and, and even I shy away even from discussion of things that might happen. And I tend to wait <laughs> and study them after it's passed and it's law and it's real uh, and, and it's here because there's just so much information and you really don't know what, what is already happening and what might happen and but certainly for the CFP exam, I just, I just kind of don't worry about it. it. It takes the exam pretty long time anyway for uh, for changes to make it into the actual exam just because of the process. Um, and even if it did, how many questions is it going to be? One, two. And, yeah. and so I submit it's it, it's not going to make the difference on pass and fail. <laughs> On the on the exam, but I just don't think it's going to make it. Yeah, they've never moved that quickly before. But on the other hand, you can understand their position that, well, it has been in place a lot of this for at least six months, which has always been their standard that they won't test new law until it's been enforced six months. So that technically makes it fair game, which is the right answer on their part, but. All these years of history say that, no, they don't turn it that fast. They just don't. I would take a look at that. Uh, didn't they release a PDF just of key points and takeaways, uh, the CFP board, that is, mm -hmm. regarding the CARES Act? Because I think, if anything, maybe just take a yeah. glance at that yeah. to see what's on there. Yeah, yep. for, sure. for sure. And they've done a great job with that, too. Uh, you know, The things they've put out in the last couple of years have been outstanding. Uh, for the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act and the SECURE Act. Um, I, I love their materials, so whoever is, is doing that, please keep it up. But even that stuff, if you go back and yep. look at the, uh, those pieces on those two, uh, most of that's not made it into the exam yet either. Now, so that's for our students studying to become CFPs. What about for our students who are now CFPs themselves? They, unfortunately, do have to care about this sort of stuff. There's no uh, grace period like there is with the uh, the CFP exam. Um, you know, as advisors, how are we, you know, tackling this fairly complicated tax season with all this stuff going on? One word, referrals. I think you just, you, you continue. <laughs> yeah, referrals. You, you work hand in hand with the with the other advisors and with the, the accounting professionals that your clients deal with. And you know, I would go back to to the jobs and uh, jobs and tax cuts. What was the name of the act again? Tax cuts, tax jobs cuts and, and jobs. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Tongue yes. twist. Tongue CGA. twister. That's right. Uh, so back in, I remember the beginning of 2019, none of the accounting software had caught up. So when people who have to pay quarterly estimates on their taxes had no idea, accountants were literally guessing as to what they should do. Uh, for their their estimated taxes for 2019. Well, I think that's also true with um, even some of the uh, publications at uh, uh, from the IRS have not yet caught up with with everything. You click into it, 
into right. the publication and it and it just gives you that this is a draft and, and it, that's all there is there's nothing nothing after it the form isn't there the instructions aren't there so there's a great lag happening i think it's real painful that's a great point mike it's great it's also painful trying to research this stuff because all these fairly recent articles that we would usually turn to you know whenever we're researching a topic uh, an article that was written six months ago might be just completely null and void now. And of course, it's still up there because, you know, once it's on the Internet, it's on the Internet. But even these fairly recent tax articles can just be full of wrong information because it just it's outdated because it's just changing so quickly. Well, plus a lot of it is written based on hyperbole, yep. right? So people are, to, to Mike's earlier point, they're just speculating as to what they think happened to, to or will happen to fill space. Um, and then the reality sets in, uh, and then yep. they react. I've, I've had, uh, answer a few students that way. Uh, you know, they ask about something and I'm like, well, we don't really know. Cause no one's challenged it in court yet. <laughs> as soon as someone challenges it in court, then we'll have a better idea of how this actually plays out. Yeah. That's one of the things I've, I've always appreciated about the income tax topics is because there is primary source material. You can go to the source, and and if you work at it, you can find the proper document. Um, unlike some of the other topics in the CFP exam, where there really isn't any primary source information on it, but even now, that's difficult to to track back on the on the tax stuff because it's uh, so fluid right now. And then trying to dig out, well, has this been amended, or just that did this end? Did it get extended? I mean, you're right, Jerry. It's it's tough to know whether you're on the right page or not. I do have to give credit to whoever runs the IRS's website, though, because, I mean, while it's not the prettiest thing in the world, it is super useful. I am on the IRS.gov a lot, and I get, I get a lot of use out of that and, uh, you know, checking on questions and checking source material, like you said, Mike. So, uh, you know, say what you want about the IRS. They they do have a good website, yeah. at least. And, you know, um, Adam just passed his second part to the EA uh, so yay Adam one more to go um, yeah. but you know how how is that material dealing with it you know you you have a lag you're 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 always a year behind I mean they just they have a window where they black out uh, any testing to update for the for the the current numbers and we're we're in that right now so it runs from March uh, up to May every year and post-May will be in 2021. So it just gives you enough of a, a runway. Uh, for example, when I sat for the, that part, uh, the second part of, of the EA exam last month, I was still being tested. Uh, it was 2020 numbers, even though we're, you know, we're well on our way in 2021. So it's, it's very similar to the CFP board in that way. They give themselves a little bit of a wiggle room because they let it lag. Yeah, so this this time of the year is tough. I mean, in practice, because you, you're you're just dealing with with the end of the year and tax time are, are are just there's just finite deadlines, and if something gets missed, it's very hard to undo it. And so there's there's a lot more stress. There's you have to be really focused, and it's, it's just it's busier, right? It's it's more transactional. There's a lot of people calling in, um, and everything's urgent. Everything's always urgent for everybody, and so it just it just begs for mistakes to occur. Um, and, and so this, you know, tax time and, and certainly the end of the year are, are, are stressful times. How do you preempt that? Do you just schedule it 
well? Do you do you expect it? Yeah, I mean, you you the the end of the year stuff you can you can because the things that are need to be done by December thirty first can be done at any point prior to December thirty first. So it's a much wider uh, amount of time. Whereas the the stuff that you you know you're dealing with with taxes now certainly you could say well you can file an extension. Um, but you know you don't want to be the reason why your your client has to file an extension on taxes. Um, but you know they get their documents. People are calling because the documents are supposed to be here by February fifteenth, and they're not. Or it's a preliminary versus an actual. Uh, and and so I think with with clients that you've had for a long time, they're kind of used to it. Um, and and you just you know you, you try to deal with it, divide and conquer. Uh, so I'm I'm fortunate I have a, a good team of uh, a partner and a, and a, a client associate that's that's been working with me for a long time um and and so we're we're just you know we've we've done it together for a long time so we just kind of have it down to a science but it still stinks it's still stressful for sure especially k-1s i remember k-1s were the bane of my existence every tax season uh just because they they never arrive on time they're always late i mean i I, k-1s people who have k-1s typically know that they're coming right so they they know they're going to file an extension The, the the mistake that i've made a couple of times is i've dropped investments uh, into clients' accounts, not realizing that they produced K one versus ten ninety nine, and so when the documents didn't show up until August, uh, they would say, "Well, I wouldn't. I wasn't sure I was going to be needing this," and uh, and then all of a sudden, you know, they're filing amended tax returns. One of the advisors I worked for, I was his, I was his assistant, and he uh, he basically dropped across his entire book of business this one investment because he thought it would be great for you know all his clients didn't realize they had k1 so now just the entire book of business is having to file extensions because he didn't check so yeah. if you're gonna put your entire book of business in a position make sure you know if it's gonna issue a k1 or not <laughs> and just a quick plug too for those that um you know are doing roth iras uh that remember you can designate which year we were still open right now to designate which year the contribution is for so one could make a Roth contribution uh, and let's say this is their first uh, and designate it for 2020 and the five-year time clock that starts for Roth which is an absolute requirement for qualified tax-free distributions that would then start January 1st of 2020 even though they they're making that first contribution right now so that's a pretty cool thing All right, guys, let's close out the episode with our question of the episode. One of our favorite topics, strong form versus weak form. It's almost it's almost like a personality test. Where on the where on the personality strong form versus weak form personality spectrum do you fall? <laughs> we couldn't sleep last night knowing we were going to talk about this. If you believe in strong form, you have a distinct lack of personality. Maybe maybe one of our uh, listeners can make like a BuzzFeed style uh, quiz where you can just answer a bunch of questions and I'll tell you, you know. How, Do you, you believe s- in magic? Yeah, semi-strong form. Yeah. <laughs> Do you believe the world is a fair and just place? Yeah. All right. So let's get into this, yeah. this question of the episode. Actually, before we even do to it, Mike, could you uh, just give us a real like two sentence rundown on what is strong form? What is weak form? Sure. So uh, believers in 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 the efficient marker hypothesis uh, basically will subscribe to what information is already included in today's pricing. 
in in the weak form, it's it's assumed that all technical analysis is already included in in the pricing, all of the numbers and the charting and all that past prices and, and such is in there. Uh, the semi-strong uh, believers um, maintain that not only is all technical analysis already incorporated, but so is all fundamental uh, analysis. Um, and there's nothing you could do along those two lines that would improve uh, performance. Um, both in the weak and the semi-strong, though, they still would maintain that inside information could help um, improve uh, performance. And then the strong form just simply says all of that. All of that's already in the prices. It's too late. The market has already acted based on all technical, fundamental analysis and inside information. The invisible hand of the market is an iron gun. That's right. <laughs> and uh, and that's why yep. I have all those T-shirts. Ultra efficient. That say EMH strong. <laughs> awesome. Well, let's take a look at a question that could, uh, you know, be an example of how it might show up on the exam. So the semi-strong form of the efficient market theory indicates which of the following? A, the current prices reflect past prices and all publicly available information. B, that not even insider information will produce superior results over time. C, that past performance is useless in predicting future price changes. Or D, that investors react quickly and accurately to new information leading to quick and accurate price adjustments. And we'll also obviously have this question up on the Biff Bytes website if you want to take a look at it. Uh, let's take a look at these options and kind of just, uh, uh, you know, zero in on what each of these options actually are. And let's let's start from the bottom and work our way up. So investors react quickly and accurately to new information leading to quick and accurate price adjustments. Is that weak form, strong form, semi-strong? Where would you guys feel that falls? Well, for me, I would say that that, that is going to be uh, indicative of strong form. Mm -hmm. And how come, Brendan? It's, it's basically saying that it just reacts. It's so efficient that it reacts to, to uh, new information. It doesn't say new public information, new private information. It just says new information. Uh, so I would read into that 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 is uh, the market is so efficient that all information that is created is immediately uh, assimilated into the price of a security. Right. I would say D is basically saying that the market is perfectly efficient. Anytime something happens, the market quickly and efficiently adjusts and takes that into account. So if you are strong with your efficiency, you have a strong form belief in the market. Uh, how about C? The past performance is useless in predicting future price changes. What does that say to you, Mike? That's held as a belief in, in all three forms, that all technical analysis right. is already incorporated. None of the three forms subscribe in the belief that you can improve performance through technical analysis. Right. So while C is tech... And so I think that that's a good example... It's a good example of, of a choice that's technically correct, yep. but not the best answer. Took the words right out of my mouth. Yeah, it's it's technically correct, but because I'm sorry. <laughs> it applies to everything, it, it's really the wrong answer because it's not specific enough. No, that, that was great, Brennan. 
and Adam, how about that not even insider information will produce superior results over time? I, I actually have a t-shirt for this one. Oh, yeah? Um, yeah. <laughs> so that, that, sounds, that sounds like the strong form to me uh, because you're not even going to get that edge even with the, uh, the insider information at hand. <laughs> Hence the BuzzFeed question, do you believe in magic? Yes. <laughs> Doesn't even matter if you're cheating, because cheaters never win, right, guys? Right. <laughs> uh, and finally, that current prices reflect past prices and all publicly available information, uh, which is the correct answer in this. That is semi-strong form. Uh, I feel it's kind of one of the harder ones to uh, define because it, it's a, a blend of the two. But I would say the vast majority of people f- probably fall on the semi-strong, uh, you know, sliding scale of the of the spectrum. So that all technical and fundamental is incorporated, but maybe with insider information, there could be improved employment performance over the long run. Yeah, basically, you know, right. the market tends to be efficient. But inefficiencies still happen. That's how we have arbitrage. You know, you can just see that happen in the market pretty much every day. Um, you know, we price in fundamentals and we price in technical analysis, but there's still going to be stuff that just can hit you completely blindsided, like something like the GameStop stuff that happens. And then obviously also, if you have insider information, non-publicly available information, you can use that to your advantage, which I feel pretty much everyone would, would agree on. Yeah, but as an advisor, I, um, it probably wouldn't be something that we would incorporate into a financial plan that what we want to rely on is insider information. Uh, right. I got, got a plan <laughs> for you here. True. At least, at least you don't want to send it. You don't want to send it via email. Yeah. <laughs> but you know that's interesting. It's a whole fascinating thing there when you think about then all of the time and energy and money and sophisticated software and, and, and all of this data and everything. Obviously, the, all of this discussion is very debatable in, in, in the real world uh, market when you look at how much of all of this is actually going on and trying to find the opportunity or the time. Uh, how would you feel about things like high frequency traders and uh, you know price algor- algorithms um, you know, does that go against or favor a more strong form market theory? Well, for me, again, it's just there's no type of analysis you can do that's going to import if you're a hardline strong, right? That mm-hmm. all of that math stuff is not, I don't know, Brendan, I, 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 what, what do you think here? I'm just like. Yeah, I mean, I would agree. I mean, if if, if you're if you're hardline strong, then you just you just buy the benchmark and that's it. You don't you don't need anything. And in any of those other things are already rolled up into it, right? So, so you're just going to ride the wave of the market um, for better or worse, and, and believe that that's going to provide your best outcome over time. Yeah, it almost it reminds me of uh, kind of more a philosophical outlook of life. You know, do you believe in kind of free will or fatalism? <laughs> you know, if you just believe your fate is set, you might as well just buy the benchmark and be happy with it. And then if you feel that, you know, you have free will and your decisions uh, can really make a difference, then you, you know, would be a more weak form individual. And that's how we get, you know, stock pickers versus ETF buyers. Yep. In in the really 
long run, I don't believe that the average investor is going to beat the market, but they might be able to come out in the same kind of range as the index or something, but have a whole lot more fun along the way if they do enjoy trading and 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 reading and doing analysis and, and such. It might uh, might be the same down the road, but I really don't think they'll beat it over a 30 or 40 year period. And you think about people now, we, we've got kids, I have kids that, you know, they've got, they've got investments now that will end up being 50 year money <laughs> uh, yeah. if, if they write right. to retirement. So it's just, it's fascinating, but I have been one of those that I'm just fine with. I'm just fine with the index and not worrying about it. Theoretically, I think I'll live yeah. a lot longer and uh you know be able to enjoy the money uh than the people that fret about it every single day yeah market's down a thousand points ah shoot where's my beer <laughs> yeah. yeah well yeah. i also i feel for most investors the hybrid method works a lot in that your strong form in that you will buy etfs and you know spread spread that risk out you're not putting all your eggs in one basket but then uh, weak form in that you choose which ETFs you want to invest in. You know, you're not just buying the S&P 500 and forgetting about it. Maybe you're buying, uh, you know, clean energy ETFs because you think that that's going to do really well. But you're not such a weak form person that you're going to go out and individually pick clean energy stocks. You're just going to buy the basket of clean energy ETFs and, you know, be happy with that. So you're strong in that you're diversifying across the entire industry but weak form in that you're specifically choosing which industry you want to invest in. Yep. And when you look at the attribution analysis of that stuff, any, it, it, really to Mike's point, over time, 94% of your returns are going to be uh, based upon your initial choice of your allocation between stocks, bonds, and cash. Everything else is just noise. Awesome. Well, good stuff. Good episode, guys. Before we head out, just want to include a couple shout outs. Uh, shout out to Nick down in Lafayette uh, for recommending the podcast on the candidate forum and also to Edward out in Oregon uh, for recommending our jam sessions. And we're going to be starting something new with the podcast, guys. We got some sweet Biff Bite swag. Uh, we got some hats made up and we got some more stuff on the way. So. Uh, Nick and Edward, we are mailing out to you guys uh, some of that swag. And going forward on each episode, we're just going to choose someone who gives us a nice review on the forum or somewhere or sends in a question of the episode they want us to take a look at or you know, sends in some comments. Each episode, we're going to choose someone new and send them out some swag. So thanks for sharing the love, guys. Definitely appreciate Absolutely. it. Yeah, thanks for listening yeah. in. Let us know. Yeah, let us know what you want us to talk about. Yeah, definitely, because... Basically, a week before we record every episode, we have a uh, a nice long meeting where we're racking our brains for things to talk about. Because what are we? We're coming up on two years almost. I want to say. Yeah, I just uh, I just put together a spreadsheet of this. It's we're wow. getting close. I think the first one's yeah, twenty nineteen. I want to say October maybe. Yeah, so we're at we're at yeah. about eighteen months so far. Uh, we've covered a lot of topics. There's still plenty of other stuff out there, but sometimes we we struggle to think of what we haven't talked about yet. So, if there's a burning question you have or something you really want us to talk about, send it in, and if uh, we choose your stuff, we'll uh, we'll send you some swag. Yeah, just don't do kitty tax. We've yeah, done we've that done twice. that. <laughs> no more Two years. No more kitty tax. <laughs> wow. I, maybe it's just having to have spent the time with you guys. It just seems like a hell of a lot more than that. More than two years. 
I can't wait for the Biden tax plan to change to change kitty tax again so we get a third yeah, episode on kitty, kitty tax. tax. That's what we need. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for hanging out with us, everyone. Uh, check out the Biff Bites website for plenty of other back episodes and videos and articles we have on there, as well as the question of the episode. Uh, and see y'all next month. Take care. Thanks. See y'all. Right, thanks, guys. Thank you.